What is love? Is not just a well-known song by Hathaway from the year 1993 that, if you know it, is now stuck in your head for the rest of the day. And you are welcome for that, by the way. What is love is an important question, not only because Hathaway doesn't actually answer it in the song, that's always bothered me, but because our world has a really warped view of it, right? What love is. Love, often, it's, it's, the way we see it in society, the way it's portrayed in movies and TV is something I'm searching for, something that, that I strive for, something that I desire, and I'll do anything to get it. Okay. <laughs> but where does that leave you? Often, what? With a little self-worth? It, it leaves you always wanting different, no one or anything ever going to be good, for, good enough for you, right? You want more and different and better. It's, it's a warped view of what love really is. It's a good question for us to ask and to answer. What is love? Because, because not only is, is the world's view of it warped, and, and so often our view of it, but we have a deep desire to know what it is and what it looks like, right? We do have that deep desire to, to show love because we know that, that, that our, our relationships, they're off, right? And, and our motives are just not right. We have this deep desire to know what is love? What does it look like? What does it do? How do I show it? How do I give it? But not only that, it's really important for us to ask and answer this question, what is love? Because God wants us to know. Because he knows that we have this deep desire. He knows that the world gives us this warped view of what real love really is. And he wants us to know. And God tells us very clearly. And what he tells us might, might surprise you a little bit. I mean, the answer he gives to this question, what is love, might, might even shock you. And it will most certainly shame you, if you're honest with yourself, and the way that you have loved or not loved. But I can also tell you that it won't just shock you and shame you. <laughs> it will also assure you. The answer that God gives to what is love will assure you and comfort you this morning. And the section of scripture that we're going to take a look at to answer this question from God, for him to define what is love for us, is our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 10. And it's this dialogue between this expert in the law and Jesus, and then the well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. And what we're going to hear Jesus teach us on what love is, is it's first off, it's daunting. Real love is also dangerous, and it's also divine. So it's daunting, it's dangerous, and it's divine. You might know that Jesus did not have a lot of friends among the Jewish religious teachers and leaders of his day. And there were a couple of reasons for that. One, one big one was because he claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the one that those Old Testament scriptures prophesied about. Hundreds of times for thousands of years. And the problem was, is that he was not the type of Messiah they were looking for. The Jewish religious teachers and leaders at Jesus' time were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for someone who would come and kick out the Romans to free them from the tyranny of those Romans. 
who would come in and restore that land of Israel to them, who would again return to the glory days of Israel, of, of, of Israel in David's time. They wanted peace. They wanted power. They wanted riches. That's what they began to think this political Messiah would come to do for them. But the fact is, all of those Old Testament prophecies were not about that kind of Messiah. Instead, what those prophecies said, and the way, the way that they were fulfilled in that promised Messiah Jesus, was that he would come to liberate his people. He would come to free them from tyranny, but, but not from a group of people, but from sin and from Satan. That this Messiah would come to bring riches, but not earthly riches, but spiritual riches like forgiveness and peace and hope and joy. That he would come and he would bring great blessings, but, but the religious teachers and leaders at Jesus' time didn't want any of that. And so they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. This is not the guy we're looking for. In addition to that, they didn't like him a whole lot because they believed that what he taught was actually seemed to be opposed to those Old Testament scriptures. Because Jesus was coming and he wasn't condemning sins, he was preaching forgiveness. He wasn't talking about how much you should give in offerings, instead he was talking about your attitude behind why you give an offering. And it even seemed like he disobeyed the law. They said that he was guilty of breaking the third commandment, uh, you remember the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy because he healed somebody. They said that was work, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. They saw his disciples picking grains of head out of a field and eating them and said that was harvesting on the Sabbath day. That was work. Jesus, why would you let your disciples break the law? Right? They came to him at one point and said, why don't your disciples fast like the law tells us to do? To them, Jesus was a lawbreaker. And he was an enemy to those Old Testament scriptures and everything that they believed, so they thought. At one point, they said that he got his power from Satan. You see, Jesus didn't have a lot of friends among those Jewish religious teachers and leaders. Because one, he says he's the Messiah. Two, he seems to be contradicting and saying none of those Old Testament scriptures and laws matter. And so this brave expert of the law, and I call him brave, because others had tried to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus up to this point and not had been very successful. successful. And, and so he comes to them and it says that he wants to test Jesus. And he comes up to him and he says, teacher, and it's maybe even a little mockingly, teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? First off, do you hear how off that question is right there? <laughs> what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you, do you see how off the thinking and the teachings of the Jewish religious teachers and leaders of that time was? It was about what you do. You earned God's love. You earned eternal life by how big of offerings you gave by how often you went to church, by observing the Sabbath, by helping the poor and the needy. It was all these outward things that you did to earn yourself God's favor. Now, Jesus could have crushed him right there, right? 
He could have just ended that conversation right there. But what Jesus wants to teach. And so Jesus doesn't answer his question. Instead, he comes back with a question, which is just brilliant, isn't it? Of course it's brilliant. It's Jesus. But, but Jesus comes back with this question. He says, you're the expert. What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And the man answered him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Remember, this is a guy who thinks that he makes himself right with God by what he does. He comes to Jesus to try to trap him because he probably thinks Jesus is going to give an answer like, it doesn't really matter what you do. You can just go do whatever you want. But he doesn't answer that way. And maybe it shocks this expert in the law just a little bit. Because that's not the answer he was expecting Jesus to give. You see how the tables turn so quickly here? Right? He comes trying to trap Jesus into, into saying, well, he doesn't care about the law. He's soft on the law. It doesn't matter to him. He doesn't care about those Old Testament scriptures and what God's law says. And Jesus says, no. <laughs> what you just said, love God, love your neighbor, that's exactly right. That is exactly what the law is. And then he says, do that. You who want to earn your way to heaven, you who think that you can earn God's love by doing things, do this and you will live. You see how the tables have turned so quickly here? This man comes to try to test Jesus on the law, and Jesus turns around and convicts him of the law. Because what Jesus is saying here is that the law is not just what you do. It's not just about giving offerings. It's not just about going to church. It's not just about helping the poor and the needy. It's about why you do it. And when you do it. And how you do it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Jesus says, that's it. That's the law. You're right. Do that. Think about that for a second. Do you grasp what that means? <laughs> to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do you, do you grasp that? The law says, that Jesus says is true, love God all the time. He is, he is number one in your life all of the time. In every thought, in every word, in every decision, in everything you do, God and his glory are the only thought on your mind. That he is the one you rely on alone. You trust him more, you love him more, you find your comfort in him and in him alone more than anyone or anything else. That is daunting, isn't it, when you think about that? But that's not it. There's the other part, too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you grasp what that means? That means that you not only do to others what you would have them do to you, but you will do anything for your neighbor to help them. Anything at all. That you put their needs before your own needs. That you care about them just as much as you would care for yourself. 
Do you understand how daunting that definition of love is? Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's daunting. And it seems like this expert of the law gets it. It seems like he gets it. And maybe at first, you know, he's thinking, all right, how do I, how do I weasel my way out of this? Okay? Jesus has trapped me here. I'm convicted. I stand. I know that I have not loved God the way that he has called me to. I, I'm not even going to touch that one with Jesus. But maybe, maybe I can, I can kind of weasel my way out of this by, by focusing on the neighbor thing. Right? So, so Luke says there that he wants to justify himself, which means he wants to try to make himself look better, that maybe he's okay. So he latches on to the neighbor thing. Right? He's asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? Maybe thinking that if Jesus says, well, we'll be nice to the people who are nice to you and, and care, care for your family right? and, and, and take care of your friends and love them, Oh, then maybe he can justify himself and he can get out of this and, and look okay, right? At least get a passing grade. But Jesus then goes on to answer that question in a way that this man wasn't expecting. And the way that Jesus describes love is not only daunting, but it's, it's dangerous. The man asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes into this parable that we know so well, right? Um, maybe you know, maybe you don't. Uh, this the story um, is the road that they're t he's talking about, Jerusalem to Jericho. Is it an, was an actual road, right? This is just isn't a made up part of the story. But there's a there's a 19 mile road between Jerusalem and Jericho, and it was a dangerous one. It, it was 19 miles, and, and there was a part of it, uh, a section of it that was actually referred to, uh, even you know, hundreds of years after Jesus, known as the Bloody Way. It had a lot of twists and turns in it. There were a lot of places for robbers to hide and then to attack. And that's what happens in Jesus' story, right? Actually, if there's people standing here listening to Jesus' story, when, they, when he starts talking and he talks about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, they're probably going, ooh, this isn't going to be good. We can see where this is going, right? And so this guy is walking along this road and he gets attacked. And he's left stripped of his clothes. He's left half dead, which means that if he doesn't get help, he's going to die. But alas, along comes a priest. This, is, this guy's going to help, right? I mean, this is his job. He is there to help the, the destitute and the poor and the needy. Right? That's, that's what he does. And, and he believes that, that he earns God's love by the things he does. Right? So of course he's going to stop and help. But no. He passes by on the other side. But wait, there's hope. Here comes a Levite, another guy who works at the temple. And of course, this is a, he's a man of God. He knows right from wrong. He's going to stop and help, but no. He too passes by on the other side of the road. So what gives these two Jewish religious leaders who know what is right, who, know, who believe that they earn God's love by doing, they don't stop to do what is good and right? Or you try to get in their minds what's going on. Well, maybe, maybe they are on such urgent and official church business in Jericho that they just don't have time to stop. Maybe. But the more likely answer is, is they assess the situation. And what they see is a man half dead on the side of the road, which means that the people who attacked him 
and beat him are probably not that far away because he's not quite dead yet. So I better get out of here before they attack me too. Or they might be thinking this is a trap. He's laying here half dead. They left him half dead because they knew that I would stop and help so that they could attack me too. You see, stopping and helping that man, showing love to that man would have been dangerous. And so they pass by quickly, hurry on, like they don't see anything, someone else's problem. And then along comes a Samaritan. And he sees the man and he has pity on him, Jesus says. And he gets down off of his donkey and he bandages the man's wounds. He takes his oil and his wine and he pours it on the wounds, which would help to, to disinfect, right, and to help with the pain. And he takes him and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to the closest inn. He spends the night there taking care of him. And then in the morning, gives money to the innkeeper and says, take care of this man until he's better. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to reimburse you any expenses beyond what I gave you. You realize how dangerous this was for the Samaritan to do this. Not only was it dangerous to his very own life, because he could have gotten attacked by those robbers too. But it was dangerous to his wallet. Right? He, he took his own oil and wine, which are very expensive, and certainly weren't with him to help someone's wounds, right? And he uses that on this man. And then he takes him to this inn and puts him up for the night and covers every expense, right? pre-insurance days, right? Every expense that it would take to get him better, he says, I will cover it. Not only was it dangerous to his wallet, it was dangerous to his time. Now, he takes the time to put this man on his donkey. He was probably going along at a pretty good pace on this road, right? But now he's got to walk as he puts this injured man up on his donkey, right? And then he spends a night that he probably wasn't expecting to spend. And then he's got to come back sometime in the future to reimburse this innkeeper for all the expenses. This was dangerous to his time, to his wallet, to his own personal welfare, but, but it was also dangerous to his reputation. Do you know who Samaritans are? Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds. You see, they were people whose origins were from the Babylonian captivity. Babylon came in and defeated the southern kingdom of Judah and exiled the upper class and the learned people and left some there. And then they, the way that they would dominate other countries was to bring in people from other places and have them repopulate and just like wipe out the, the, the people who were living there, basically. And so that's who Samaritans were. They were people who um, had Jewish roots, but foreigners had come in. They were forced to intermingle with them. And, and so they had this religion that was part Jewish, part worship of false gods. Right? And the Jews hated them. Right? The, the, the name Samaritan at that time was actually a derogatory term. Samaria is, is right in the middle of Israel. You've got the, the, the northern area, Jewish area of Galilee. You've got the southern area of Judea. And then right in the middle is Samaria. And a Jew who wanted to go from north to south or south to north would not go through Samaria. They would go miles out of their way to go around it. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. So think about this for a second. 
If this Samaritan's family and friends would have found out what he did for a Jewish man, what would they have thought? You wasted your time, your money. You put your life in danger for a guy who hates you and that you should hate. His friends and family would have said, what are you doing? If that man would have passed by you on the side of the road, he would have left you for dead. And he probably would have been happy about it. You see how dangerous this was for the Samaritan. To his time, his wallet, his welfare, his reputation. So Jesus tells this story to make this guy realize who his neighbor is. And then he asks him. He says to the man, and who was the neighbor? Which of these three was the neighbor to the man who got attacked? And the man answers, and you see he can't even say the name Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. You think this guy got it? I'm sure he did. <laughs> Jesus showed him who your neighbor is. And he showed him what love for neighbor looks like. Do you get it? Do you? That your neighbor is not just the people who are like you. Your neighbor is not just the people who love you. You're not, your neighbor is not just the people who would do good things if you do good things for them. Love for neighbor is not just when it's convenient for you or when it won't cost you anything or when it's going to benefit you. Instead, love for neighbor, as Jesus describes it here, is dangerous. It's dangerous to your time, isn't it? Because it might mean that if you're actually going to show love to your neighbor, you might actually have to put aside your schedule and your priorities and put someone else's time before yours. This kind of love that Jesus defines here is dangerous maybe to your reputation. Because you might get people asking, why would you help that person? They get themselves into that mess, let them get themselves out of it. They don't deserve your help. The love that Jesus describes here is dangerous. It could be dangerous to your prejudices. Yes, your sinful prejudices of someone's skin color or their income level. This love that Jesus describes is dangerous. It might be dangerous to your wallet. Because if you actually love your neighbor as Jesus tells you to and you care about them before you care about yourself and you will do anything to help meet their needs just like you would do for yourself, you may not get to go out to eat three times this week. Or maybe you have to deal with that clunker of a car for a while and can't get the nicer one. You, it might just actually put a financial burden on you to love your neighbor. This love is dangerous. And you catch what Jesus says? He says, go and do likewise. Go and love like this. <laughs> How? Who can do this? Who can love God and love neighbor as Jesus says the law tells us to? Who can do this? 
Only one. Only one. There's only one who could love God with all of his heart and soul and strength and mind. There's only one who could perfectly love his neighbor as himself. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach this expert in the law here. You can't earn your way to eternal life. You can't love God the way the law tells you to. You can't do it. Now, usually we're, we're told not to tell our kids they can't do things, right? I'm telling you, you cannot love God and love your neighbor as the law requires to perfectly all of the time. And so Jesus is saying to this expert in the law, and he's saying to you this morning, you can't, but I can. And I did for you. I know you've, you've probably heard this story many times, and maybe um, I, I want to clear up some misconceptions. And, and there's some well-intentioned uh, people who have taught this parable and taught it terribly. You are not the good Samaritan in this story, okay? You are not the Samaritan. You know who you are in Jesus' story? Well, maybe you're the priest or the Levite passing by on the other side of the road, but you're the half-dead guy laying on the side of the road. Hopeless, helpless, bound for death, not just the physical death, but eternal death in hell without any help. But someone, someone who by nature, because of your sin, is your enemy, God himself, who's come into human flesh, comes to you. He comes to you in his pity for you. The word there that, in, in, uh, that Jesus used, uses, the, that the Samaritan had pity on this man, it's the same word that's translated many other times in the Gospels as compassion. Right? And think about, can you think about the many times that Jesus in the Gospels had compassion on people? And then what does he do? He always does something. He heals, he teaches, he forgives, he loves. He had compassion. Our true good Samaritan is Jesus, and he had compassion on us. He sees our hopeless and helpless state, and he doesn't get off of a donkey. He gets off his heavenly throne. And he comes into our time, into our world, with both compassion and with power. And he comes, and he comes not just to bandage up our wounds, but to heal our wounds. And you know how he did that? Well, this Messiah, who's prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds of times through the prophet Isaiah, it was said that by his wounds, we are healed. And it wasn't oil and wine that he pours on us to heal us, but it was our true Good Samaritan's own innocent blood that was shed and poured out to cleanse us, to make us whole, to make us clean, to make us his. You see, Jesus, as our true Good Samaritan, doesn't just come to our aid, he comes to take our place. That this good Samaritan, Jesus, came and walked that bloody way for us. And they attacked him. And they killed him. They stripped him of his clothes and then they stripped him of his life. 
And he let it happen. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could be healed. So that you can know what real love is. You see, friends, love as Jesus describes it is not just daunting to us as sinners. It's not just dangerous when we think about what that looks like in our life. But it also has origins that are divine. What is love? God is love. And his whole revelation of us, the Bible, is love, right? The law, as the expert in the law properly said, the, the summary of the law is love. Love God, love your neighbor. But, but the beating heart of the gospel is also love. That God loves the helpless and the hopeless. That God loves sinners. That God loves you. See God's great love for you. See the love that Jesus had for you, that dangerous love that was willing to put himself in harm's way and to go to death for you so that you could be healed, so that you could be his. See God's love that is not earned, that is not deserved, that has absolutely no strings attached to it. See that love that sets you free from the demands of the law. See that love of God so that when you hear Jesus say, go and do likewise, that's not a burden. When you hear Jesus say, go and do likewise, that's not a challenge to you. That's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to say thanks. See how God's love has scoured your heart of sin and filled it with thankfulness for what he has done for you. That you don't go and do likewise so that you can earn heaven, but because you already have heaven through your true good Samaritan. See the dangerous love that your God has for you. See the love that he has shown to you and poured out upon you. And we say, Let me go and do likewise. Fill my heart with your love, Jesus. Give me your divine love so that I might go love my neighbor dangerously, so that I might go see all of the opportunities that you lay out in front of me every single day to love my neighbor, no matter who it is, because you have first loved me so. Amen.